Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 62 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about the VO2 Max. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome to episode 62 my name is letty lundquist and i'm your host and i'm here with my awesome co-host thank you for showing back up again ryan i'm here to fill in the silence you're doing more than that, and especially on this episode today, because today we're going to talk about VO2 max, which is science stuff. So when it comes to science stuff, I divert to you. So <laughs> so what do you want to know? I don't know much. I mean, I just know like a little bit, but yeah. So then you're in the same boat as many runners, although you're probably being humble and you know a little bit more because you went to school for this type of stuff. So let's talk about that term VO2 max that we hear all over the internet, or I guess we started hearing about it a few years ago, ever since running watches claim that they have an accurate measurement of it. So let's break it down. VO2 max. So like with a lot of terms, you can kind of break it down. So V is for volume, O2 is oxygen, and max is your max maximum. So volume of oxygen, that's maximum. So I guess what is a normal VO2 max? Because I don't even know what that is. I don't know because it varies so much, but let's just for the ease of it say somebody's VO2 max is 50. Okay. So, so like, so if you do that 50 milliliters of oxygen divided by one kilogram of body mass divided by one minute, right? So that just gives you a total of VO2 max of 50. So if that's what typical runners use is a VO2 max of 50, that means that their body is using 50 milliliters of oxygen gas per kilogram of body weight for every kilogram of body weight every minute that they're doing an exercise. And that's their maximum rate. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Completely. So now that we have established what those numbers mean, we're also going to have to talk about why those numbers even matter because I feel like they just started mattering, well, as soon as we had access to numbers like that from our running watches. Yeah, I'd be curious. I don't know how accurate running watches actually are with that. I mean, I, I would be, you'd probably have to look up data and see actually how accurate they are because I'm sure, sure they have much better ways of measuring VO2 max accurately in like a laboratory setting. But to answer your question, so I guess the... VO2 max is a cool number because it's the maximum amount of oxygen your body can use to exert energy at a specific time. But then like you you kind of were talking to me beforehand that there's other factors that may limit your aerobic activity in the sense like, you know, your body as it's producing energy also builds up byproducts of that, which one of which is like lactic acid and Sometimes that can become a limiting factor, especially with running these longer distances. So maybe not as important as some people maybe make it out to be. 
but it still is kind of a cool data point. Yeah, and the good news is we can answer all these questions because we're going to tackle this topic of the VO2 max with Dr. Gregory Grosicki, who is an assistant professor and director at the Exercise Physiology Laboratory of Georgia Southern University. We've had him on before, and we always talk science stuff with him. So we're going to tackle the questions of what VO2 max is, hear it from his standpoint, how it's tracked, whether it's important to know this number, what some average numbers are, and how we can increase the number and some more stuff. So this is going to be really exciting to hear from him. Does he have any insight as to how accurate watches are? He does, and oh, he will cool. tell us, yeah. I, I, that's what I'm really interested in, because I think like having this data is really neat, but a lot of what drives the market is just having it and not necessarily having it be accurate all the time. So it would be cool if they could actually do it and make it really accurate too. Well, you're kind of already answering the question. I am? <laughs> yeah, um, but I don't want to spoil this. But yes, you get to listen to it right now. So let's not spoil anything else. And I'm now going to play our interview with Dr. Gregory Grosicki. All right, so we're back on here with Dr. Gregory Grosicki. Greg, thank you so much for joining us again. Of course, thanks for having me. Yes, of course. And uh, I wanted to introduce you to our listeners. You're kind of our go-to person for all things science. Um, we've had you on on episode 15, where you talked about how to get faster and how that actually works in our bodies. So for our listeners that haven't listened to that yet, it's episode 15. But for our new listeners, can you introduce yourself and tell us how you, how, how much you run and how you are an expert in this area? Sure, of course. So uh, thanks again for having me on. Uh, as Letty said, I'm uh, Greg Grosicki. I'm an assistant professor and director of the Exercise Physiology Lab at Georgia Southern University on the Armstrong campus in beautiful Savannah, Georgia. I've been here for three years um, doing teaching and, and research both. Uh, prior to coming here, I did a postdoc up in Boston at the Human Nutrition Research Center on Aging and Prior to that, I did my doctoral work at the Ball State Human Performance Laboratory, looking at aging and basically the effects of lifelong exercise as a way to improve human health. Um, my interest in exercise physiology uh, really stems from my personal interests. As an endurance athlete, I was a collegiate runner, and I think tying my experiences as an athlete uh, and running in college to the material I was learning in the classroom is really what draws me to this discipline. So um, it's just been very enjoyable. Um, and uh, I, I, while I definitely enjoyed running, I kind of more recently started, uh, well, not really that recently, but after college, so that would have been in uh, a while now, I guess, 2011, I started doing uh, dabbling in triathlons a bit more just as a way to make sure to keep myself uh, healthy. And, and as I was dealing with a good number of injuries from just running. And so now I do that. And uh, I've since converted more to uh, be just a little bit more of a cyclist, but I still definitely do run. I love just the time efficient nature of it. So that's my, me in a nutshell now. That's perfect. And uh, we definitely feel like we're going to be in great hands with all of our question. And today's topic is VO2 max. So for the newer runners, let's start with the basic stuff. So what is VO2 max and what sure. does it indicate? And why do we suddenly need to track this number? 
Sure. Um, well, I think you're spot on in terms of the, there's more discussion as of recent as, as to VO2 max. And I think a lot of that has been facilitated by um, technological advances by various companies. Garmin probably leads the way here that have allowed for the estimation of VO2 max. And so, you know, you'll do a hard workout and all of a sudden your watch will tell you maybe your VO2 max has gone up or, or gone down. And everyone, you know, gets excited about that and you can track it with various smartphone applications. But yeah, what exactly does VO2 max mean? And, and quite simply, if we look at it, VO2 max is really the gold standard to assess cardiorespiratory fitness. So what does that mean? Well, let's just look at VO2 max. Uh, VO2 simply means the volume. That's what the V stands for. And O2 means oxygen. So the volume of oxygen, and then that term max means the maximal volume of oxygen that an individual can take up and consume per unit time. And we as scientists and physiologists measure oxygen consumption per minute. And so VO2 max simply describes the maximal amount of oxygen that an individual can take up and consume. And we're consuming this oxygen to produce energy during exercise and during running to produce ATP. And so that's what this, this term VO2 max means. Now, if you trace back the history of this term, there was a physiologist by the name of A.V. Hill, and he really coined this term VO2 max based on the realization he was working actually with runners and track athletes in particular, and he was measuring oxygen uptake. And what he noted is that from going from being at rest to walking to jogging to running, the and the, the greater the intensity that the individual was running, the more oxygen they were consuming. And that made sense because as I said, we're consuming that oxygen to produce energy, specifically to produce ATP. But what he noted was that there came a point, and it was different in different runners, where if he increased the speed that that individual was running, they weren't able to consume any more oxygen, or basically that oxygen consumption kind of leveled off or it plateaued. And he noticed that there was inter-individual variability and in where this occurred, that in one participant, it may happen at a nine-minute mile, another participant, it happens at a seven-minute mile, and someone else, it might not happen until a five-minute mile. And he coined this term VO2 max, or he termed this phenomenon, really, would probably be the more appropriate way to say it, would be VO2 max. He used this plateau, the fact that there comes a point where we don't seem, our bodies don't seem to be able to consume any more oxygen than we are already at VO2 max. And, and that makes me wonder about the tracking of all this data, because obviously if he did it in a laboratory setting, it's completely different than what we do now. We have a watch or we have a phone that tells us what our VO2 max is. So how should this be tracked and how accurate is the information that we get? Because honestly, my Apple watch has conflicting uh, information with a Garmin that I would wear. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, I have colleagues that work for the Apple Watch and, and not at Garmin. But 
anyway, so there are, um, you know, the, depending on what device we're using, it's certainly not surprising that we would see uh, differences in these values because they are estimates, just like you were saying. So if we take a look at how these estimates are derived, they're, they're derived in a laboratory setting. And what they're doing is they're basically analyzing, probably in a large quantity of data, if they want to do so accurately, what does the relationship between running speed and heart rate look like in different individuals of different ages? So Apple or Garmin might bring subjects into their personal exercise physiology lab, or they may even consult the literature, and they'd study hundreds or thousands of individuals to try to get an idea of, okay, if an individual is able to sustain, let's say, a seven-minute mile with a heart rate of 160 beats per minute for a, a given amount of time, what does that tell us about their VO2 max? Or what insight does that provide us? And so really by looking at how you uh, as an athlete and your heart rate response and your speed and comparing those to the athletes they've had in the lab, they come up with an algorithm to estimate VO2 max. Now, one thing you might notice, and a lot of us are probably noticing this right now, is in Savannah this past week, the temperature has gone up to like 92 degrees. And so what you're going to notice if you go outside and run is that maybe you're running at the same speed, but your heart rate is going to be a little higher. And the, the physiological un underpinnings of that would, are an entirely different discussion. But when, when it's hotter, as a runner, you probably notice your heart rate is going to be higher. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if your Garmin were actually to tell you because of that, that your VO2 max might have actually gone down. And really, essentially, what your Garmin is thinking is that you're not as fit because your heart rate's higher for running the same speed. If you look in the literature, as far as the accuracy of these estimates go, I've seen as close as 5%, but I've seen upwards of 10%, which, you know, we, we have to interpret in the context of, is it worth getting into a laboratory to actually have our VO2 max measured? This is obviously time intensive. It's, it's generally, there's an expense associated with it and it's not overly comfortable doing a max test. So, you know, when I say that maybe the VO2 max we're getting on our watch is 10% off, you know, some people may think, well, that's a lot. And, and, you know, depending on what you're trying to use that value for, maybe it is, but, but it's also pretty darn good if you consider how easily we're getting that metric versus actually having one's VO2 max measured in a laboratory setting. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for most of us recreational runners, I guess it would just be kind of like tracking a heart rate just to kind of know where you're standing so you could make uh, future decisions or you can see when your body potentially is struggling more and more as an injury prevention kind of thing. For sure. I guess if, if I was to advise recreational runners about VO2 max tests, if you live near a university, I would encourage you if you're interested in getting one and what I might tell you later on in the podcast might kind of discourage you from doing it depending on your goals. It is fascinating. Um, but uh, m m almost all universities, particularly those that have an exercise science program, have a laboratory and, and many of them uh, might offer VO2 max testing, uh, probably for some sort of charge, but probably around $100 if I had to guess. 
Well, that would be kind of interesting, especially since we are recreational runners, but a lot of us are shooting for big goals and uh, maybe it would help us to, to stay in the game a little bit more. And it's a motivating thing to do because you're getting more involved. Sure. There are certainly a number of reasons uh, one, one might want to track their VO2 max. Although I would say that for performance might not actually be one of those reasons, but we might talk about that a little more later. Okay. So for an average male, female, can you throw out some numbers? Because most of us are sitting on data and just to kind of give us a check of where we should be as a new runner and then um, more advanced runner and how fast that number can increase. Sure. Um, so <laughs> just a real quick before I give you these kind of normative values or average numbers, I do think it's important for me just briefly to mention that VO2 max or VO2 or oxygen consumption while we're doing some sort of activity is measured in liters per minute. So someone might be consuming two liters per minute of oxygen. Now, the VO2 max numbers you're getting on your watch or the ones that most runners are, are probably most familiar with are those VO2 numbers normalized to body weight. And it makes sense that we want to normalize uh, uh, oxygen consumption to body weight for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, it's helping us to compare uh, oxygen consumption values, uh, basically among different individuals. Uh, when, I, when we talk about VO2 max, I think one of the more simplistic ways for an in individual to understand how big is the engine that's in the car? Because really it's your VO2 max that's providing the energy for that car or for that individual to go. But if you have the same engine in the body of a Honda Civic <clears throat> versus the body of a huge Toyota Tacoma, those, those trucks are gonna, or, and cars are going to move at very different speeds. And the same thing for humans. So The VO2 max values we most frequently heard referred to are those that are relative to body weight. So obviously we have to be mindful of this. And if we're getting a VO2 max value in our, from a watch or, or some sort of smartphone device, and we haven't put in our body mass, then you're obviously going to want to do that because probably it's operating on whatever the default is. But VO2 max can really, can be highly variable in humans. Um, someone who needs like a, a heart transplant, for example, might have a relative VO2 max value of less than 10 milliliters per kilogram per minute. So that's extremely low. And it basically means that their functional capacity is no greater than three times what they're doing at rest so that they can only participate in sustained activity of really about three times what they're doing in a resting, in a resting state. Just a sedentary individual between 30 to 40 years of age on a treadmill is probably going to have a VO2 max value somewhere in the low to mid 30s, I would say. Whereas someone who's recreationally active, if we had a runner who is running, say, three to five times a week, we'd probably expect a VO2 max value maybe upper 30s or low 40s. Um, and, and one thing to be mindful of is that there are gender differences in, in VO2 max. Um, if we think about specifically comparing uh, the physiology of, of males and females, we know that one, uh, oxygen carrying capacity, so basically the ability to uh, deliver oxygen from the heart to the muscles tends to be 
a bit lower in females. They uh, have a lower quantity of red blood cells, and we can see that measured in a laboratory setting, as well as females typically have greater amount of fat mass uh, compared, relative fat mass, so greater body fat compared to males. And so that works against them. So whatever value I tell you in males, shift it down maybe 10% in females. So again, sorry, sedentary would probably be uh, low 30s, recreationally active, I'd say probably high 30s, low 40s. Someone who's really running seriously, maybe like a high school runner or, or someone who's running, let's say, you know, qualifying for the Boston Marathon, for instance, is probably going to have a VO2 max of, of, of high 50s, low 60s. Now, elite's VO2 max, the highest VO2 max ever reported, actually, was recently reported by from a, a country over in Scandinavia. And he was a, uh, a, a young skier that actually switched to, to cycling. And his VO2 max uh, was reported at 96 oh, milliliters wow. per kilogram per minute. Now, to put, put some context to that, when Lance Armstrong was studied, he was about uh, 84, uh, which is about the, the same VO2 max value, if I'm not mistaken, that was measured in people like uh, Steve Prefontaine. I think Frank Shorter was upper 70s. So these are some older runners that some of you may be familiar with. Um, and so anyway, just to give you some perspective, anything over 90 is, you know, there may have been very few human beings that have had a, a VO2 max over 90, but this individual had a VO2 max of 96. So extremely impressive. Yeah, that's crazy high. I wonder what Elliot Kipchoge, the fastest marathoner, has as his VO2 max. So actually, and I, I wish I had looked into this more, but I believe there was a study reporting on some of that data. Um, and as, uh, essentially, I believe it was done in collaboration with Nike. And it could be Andy Jones who did that. I, I might be mistaken. But I believe it was actually in the in the in the mid '80s, so I think it was right around the, that '84 or '85 mark. Very nice. So you mentioned earlier that you know after I said that we should maybe keep track of our VO2 max just so we kind of have a gauge and see if we're progressing or not. But you mentioned that there were some other reasons to check your VO2 max. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> you know, it's funny when, when you say VO2 max, everyone thinks, and the size of the engine um, in an individual is obviously going to be extremely important, right? And it's undeniable that for elite athletic success, VO2 max is uh, a necessity, but a high VO2 max is entirely insufficient to to be an elite athlete. One thing that's interesting is if we actually look at data from training studies, someone who's basically untrained or recreationally active, and we put them through a long duration training study, after about two to three months, VO2 max probably isn't gonna change very much. That VO2 max can change, undoubtedly, don't get me wrong. So you're gonna see increases in VO2 max of around 20% maybe after two months of training. But a lot of VO2 max is, is genetic. And so it is going to change in the first two to three months. But after that, we're not going to see a lot of change in VO2 max. So if we say that VO2 max is necessary for elite athletic success, and any of us who have ever trained 
for any sort of serious running race, right? Or, or, you know, you or I, it's not like if you're going to go run the New York marathon, you're going to say, well, I guess I'm going to start my training in September because my VO2 max is only going to increase for the first two, for the first two months. And so any more than that would be a waste of time. And that's simply not the case. And that's because if we look at performance, be it in running or cycling or really any endurance event, there's really three factors that play into dictating an individual's performance. And, and that performance, if we, it, what, what it really boils down to is how fast we are able to move for that duration of the event, right? So just as an example, uh, if you want to run, and, and these are numbers that I actually uh, have looked up, if you want to run a 215 marathon, for instance, it's been basically advised or, or documented that you need to be able to sustain a VO2, meaning oxygen consumption, of around 60 milliliters per kilogram per minute. But that means to run that 215 marathon, you actually have to have a VO2 max that's well above that. And the reason why that is, is because we're not able to sustain our VO2 max for, for a very prolonged period of time. If you get in the car, put it in the highest gear and put the pedal to the metal, you're not going to be able to go at, at that speed for a very long duration. You're going to fatigue. In fact, a human being, most individuals aren't going to be able to sustain their VO2 max for much more than four to six minutes. So one, there, as I said, there are three factors that are really coming to dictate the speed at which we're able to get from point A to point B. One of them is VO2 max. And so VO2 max definitely matters. But another one that's also extremely important, if not more important, is the percent of VO2 max that we can sustain for a given duration. So just as an example, if we're trying to exercise two hours and 15 minutes, Someone who's extremely well-trained may be able to sustain somewhere to 80 to 85% of their VO2 max. Or if you're getting in the car, you're kicking it into fourth gear and you're able to haul in fourth gear for two hours and 15 minutes. Someone who's untrained, however, may only be able to sustain somewhere between 20 to 30% of their VO2 max. So they're getting in the car, they're kicking it into second gear, and they're both driving down the road. Now, obviously, the individual in fourth gear is going to get there much faster. And these individuals could have literally the same VO2 max, but one person is able to sustain a vastly greater percentage of that. And so that's going to play a, a large role in performance. And interestingly, unlike VO2 max, where we're going to see it plateau after about two weeks, this percentage of VO2 max that we're able to sustain, and many people might use the terms like lactate threshold for this, the percentage of VO2 max that we're able to sustain is much more plastic and that we're going to see adaptability in that that far surpasses the first two months of training. And so that's one of the things that we and runners are constantly trying to improve is basically our our, our, our threshold, our lactate threshold or our ventilatory threshold, some people may refer it to. The last factor that's really important is running economy. And all three of these factors kind of coalesce to dictate how fast we're able to move. So let's go back to our example of we have two different runners 
with the same VO2 max. And maybe they even have uh, or can sustain this roughly the same percentage of VO2 max for a given race distance. Well, all of you as runners have probably looked at, you know, different individuals as they're running, you know, as I do, you're driving down the road and you see an individual moving on the side of the road. And it's like, wow, that guy, like Elib Kipchoge, for example, he just looks so smooth, like makes it look so easy. His form is just impeccable. Whereas you might see someone else who it's like just watching them run is almost painful. And that's probably what it's like to watch me run, to be totally honest with you. My form is not good. And that's evidenced by the fact that my VO2 max is really high and my threshold is high, but my times are fairly mediocre. Um, but so, so this running economy is basically, if we know we're able to put in or we're able to consume a certain amount of oxygen, then how, f- how basically what, what type of speed are we going to get from that oxygen? And so that would be like, uh, again, comparing cars of different body sizes, if you will. And so it's really, and that is also economy is another thing that can, can be improved with longer duration training that surpasses those first two weeks. So that was kind of a lot of information. <laughs> no, uh, but that's great. I was, I was taking notes and, you know, because those terms, that terminology of VO2 max and lactate threshold is all thrown out there. And the most we probably do is a quick Google search. And I honestly never really knew how much they're related to one another. So my next question was going to be, how do we increase the VO2 max number? But now I'm going to change my question. I'm going to ask you, how do we increase our lactate threshold, right? Because that's what I should be trying to increase. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with trying to increase VO2 max. Like I'll honestly probably do a VO2 max now about once a year. They're, they're not incredibly fun, you know, but it's still kind of, I just like it to have the information on myself because VO2 max is something that declines with age. And so I've reached a, a, a place in my life where I'm going to start seeing that drop off. So I shouldn't, cer- certainly wouldn't discourage anyone from getting it. It's a really cool metric to have. And really, Depending on what we're trying to increase, I, I think really the name of the game is specificity, right? And, and so we use this term as, as physiologists and trainers and coaches might use it. But, but what does specificity mean? And that's that we should tailor our training to whatever it is we're trying to improve. And so if I'm going to do a VO2 max test, I know that if I do a bunch of five to six minute intervals that are basically VO2 max intervals, basically intervals done at very close to 100% of my VO2 max with sufficient duration to allow me to get to that intensity that I know I might see changes in my VO2 max. And so, you know, if I'm going to go do a VO2 max test, my yearly VO2 max test, often a couple weeks before that, I'll try to do a bunch of VO2 max intervals to get that number as high as I can. Now, for something like lactate threshold, there are really a number of different things you could do and there's actually, there was an interesting study uh, that, I, uh, that I heard referenced recently that kind of compared basically work done at a steady state intensity, meaning that if I give you an interval, for example, go run um, mile repeats, let's just say, for instance, go run mile repeats at, a, at, what, at maybe if I had you do four by mile repeats at 10K pace, and you would literally run, ideally, I might say as a coach, run all of those mile repeats at the same pace. So run them as close to the same pace as you can. That is a very conventional, uh, basically, training plan, right? But something that might be a bit different would be something where we'd say, okay, 
and I would maybe refer to this and you may have this referred to heard this referred to as something like uh, over unders or under overs where we're kind of being more variable with our pace in a given interval. So for example, if we're running two uh, K's on the track, we may try to start uh, that first 400 at some, at a pace that's really hard. So if we're running two K's at, at 10 K pace, we may run that first 400 at a 5K pace or even something a little faster than that. And then we dial it back a little bit and then we might increase that pace a little more. So by varying that pace, we might, we might find ways to improve our, our, our basically the percentage of VO2 max we can sustain. You can also do something in cyclists we'll call the sweet spot training or runners might call it more of like a, a tempo run where we go run basically very close to the percentage of VO2 max that we know we can sustain for a, a very, you know, a, a time. So for example, if we were to do a, a 20 or 30 minute threshold run, well, we know we can't sustain VO2 max for 20 or 30 minutes, but say we're working with an individual who we know they can sustain 85%. So we'd go have them run at an intensity that was, you know, around 85% of VO2 max or basically pretty darn close to as, as fast as they can run for 20 or 30 minutes. And that might help to increase that, that basically lactate threshold or their ability to sustain a given percentage of that VO2 max number. So if we want to increase both, you know, just to cover our bases, we want to have a bigger or be closer to our potential VO2 max, as well as increase our lactate threshold, would it be good to do obviously speed exercises, but for the VO2 max, it would be all out sprints. Whereas with the lactate threshold, just go for a prolonged period of time, kind of closer to the VO2 max, but obviously not all the way because that's just not sustainable. Yeah. It, the, 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 the training for specific physiological systems can kind of get bogged down and muddled because the truth is there's no particular training paradigm that's going to impose benefits that are mutually exclusive. Um, undoubtedly, and a, a student of mine just published a paper in the journal Frontiers in Physiology, the shorter duration, higher intensity training is probably going to uh, provide the greatest benefits for a variable like VO2 max. Um, that's not to say that it wouldn't also improve the submaximal percentage of that VO2 max that we can hold. But I think if you really were to try to simplify it as much as possible, that, yeah, just exactly what you said, that VO2 max is probably going to see the greatest benefits with shorter duration, higher intensity training. And that submaximal percentage, we're probably going to want to do some longer duration threshold training. I would agree. There's so much to all these numbers and all these terms. So I'm really grateful that you uh, came on here and explained at least a little part of it. And I hope that in future episodes, we'll be able to have you on again to, to discuss these topics a little bit more because it really helps having this clarified by a professor. Sure. Yeah. Great questions. And I'm sorry if I confused anyone. I tried to be as simplistic as possible where I could. And some of your questions were so good. They involved basically going and a whole nother rabbit hole of physiology. And so I tried to steer clear of that so that we could focus on the task at hand, but uh, great questions. I realized that too. That's why I threw in there that hopefully we'll, <laughs> we'll be able to have you back on for more questions. Fantastic. 
All right, Greg. And then if people want to get in touch with you or if you have any reading material or anything like that, can you uh, let us know how we can find you? Sure. Uh, easiest way is probably on Twitter and Instagram. I'd say I'm uh, fairly moderately active, perhaps more than I should be, but it's just at Dr. Greg Grosicki. And maybe you can put that in the show notes. Uh, alternatively, if you want to reach out, um, I'm happy if you just want to shoot me an email. It's uh, G and then my last name, G-R-O, S is in Sam, I-C-K-I at georgiasouthern.edu. Uh, and again, I'd be happy to try to answer any questions you guys have there. So please feel free to reach out. And maybe you can put that in the show notes for people too. I will for sure. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Greg, for coming on again and clarifying what's going on with our bodies and how we can get faster. And just to sum it up, Ryan, we have it confirmed. Yes, VO2 max is important, but so is lactate threshold because apparently that is more adaptive. And of course, also, we have to make sure we have a good running economy. So I like these types of podcasts. I like the science or nerdy type of information, but I wonder how many of you guys or you listeners like it as well. I think a lot more than you think, because I feel like a lot of us runners nerd out over numbers. I know so many of my friends that pay extra for Strava, so they have access to analytics. So that's why I figured it'd be, it'd be kind of cool to have Greg on and explain those numbers to us. So with that said, do you feel like going to a university and getting your VO2 max test done? Um, maybe after I've done more exercise. <laughs> That's true. You've been kind of lacking in the running department, unfortunately. Your job's keeping too much. <laughs> yeah. Hours are too long. But anyway, so let us know if you like this type of podcast. Um, you always have the opportunity to leave us a five star review, of course, if you like our podcast. And also send us a message or whatever you want to do. We are on all the platforms. We also have a running community group on Facebook and it's called Running with Friends. So feel free to join us there. Feel free to find us on Strava, Instagram, all that fun stuff. And we would love to hear from you. I like the running with friends. Like I see people post stuff like about their runs or I, it's kind of cool. It's inter it's like inspirational in a way. Yeah. It's a little group that seems to be growing slowly, but surely. So it's been fun. So you're very welcome to join our Facebook group and we'll put all the links in our episode notes. So until next time, have a great week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.